Listener Production. I first saw Jeremy Franco on TikTok, dressed as his own mother, asking a dinner party host what their views were on washing chicken before cooking. Now, that might sound a little odd to you, but to children with at least one South Asian parent, which uh, both Jeremy and I are, that is a totally normal interaction. In two short years, Jeremy has absolutely blown up on social media. He has hundreds of thousands of followers who come for the parodies of his parents and stay for his warm, gentle humour on everything from Paris to pop stars to the Lemon Lady. More on that later. Jeremy Franco is now a seriously sought-after content creator, working on some of the world's biggest brands and interviewing Hollywood stars on the red carpet. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, The Weekend List, where Helen Smith and I recommend what to watch, see, eat, do and listen to this weekend. But first, here is my conversation with Jeremy Franco. Hey, Jeremy Franco, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, I am thrilled. I am in the presence of my lockdown greatness. I'm so happy to have you here. For those who don't know you, tell me about what you do for a living. I am a comedic content creator here in Sydney. I post on so many platforms nowadays. There's just so much going on. We've got threads now, but um, Instagram Reels, TikTok, YouTube Short, whatever you want, name it. Um, and I've got some stuff up there, mainly make a lot of videos about my life, my family life, videos about my parents, things that are going on, just a whole whole lot of nonsense. I love the idea of your job being a whole lot of nonsense. I think that's the best job that there could ever be. But you have dramatically undersold yourself just then, my friend, so I'm going to need to dig into it a little bit more. As a fellow Indian dissented child, is that a word? Are you? Uh, Yeah, I am. My dad's Indian. So I I think that is perhaps the reason why the algorithm gods decided I first needed to see your content before me and 10 million of my other friends started watching it with you. Tell me what it is about the kind of quirks of your family that reaches connection with so many people, particularly people of South Asian descent. Yeah, so I um, am born in India. I'm from a part of India called Goa, which is a Portuguese colony there. I moved to Australia about 20 years ago with my family. And growing up was a bit of a challenge in a South Asian household. And a lot of South Asian, Asian, Middle Eastern people will relate. We've got strict parents. Yeah, We've got parents who are hustling us, who are making us study, who are making us make something out of ourselves here in this country. And I really just wanted to shine a light on some of those experiences growing up because I feel like a lot of people can relate to the style of parenting that I grew up with. So that's something that I depict in my comedy. I turn a lot of those traumatic events that I experienced growing up and I make fun of them and I make light of them. And it's very cool to see how many people can relate to that or experience that themselves. How old were you when your family moved to Australia? Ooh, I was probably around five or six years old, but I sort of lived on and off between Mumbai and Sydney um, up until I was 18. Yeah. So did your parents' parenting style change once you were in Australia? Did you see them become stricter? What was your experience of parenting 
being parented in Australia versus when you were back home? It wasn't any different. It was pretty much the same. It was more actually them trying to rein in on like, okay, there are so many options here. There are so many opportunities here. We have to make sure Jeremy does not get distracted by all these different things that Australia has to offer and sort of sticks to the goal. Because in India, you know, you really only go down a couple paths. Like every male in my family is an engineer. My dad's an engineer. My brother, my uncle. Engineer, doctor. Exactly. And I remember my parents used to say that, like, there are so many options in this country. You can study this and this. Because here in India, really, it's accounting, engineering, um, computers, and science. Those are really the four fields that you get into. So tell me about going to school in Australia. And were you the kind of kid that found it easy to make friends and fit in? Or was life a little bit more complex? I think fitting in in Australia sort of just felt really natural. Where I grew Mm. up was um, a very multicultural part of Sydney. Um, My group was a very diverse group. And, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. I would actually say that if anything, once I left school, because when you're in school, you're in your your own little bubble. um, And then once you go, you're like, oh, wow, this is, there's more of a world that exists out here. So, yeah, I really did feel part of the community when I was in school. I think when once I left and I realized that, wow, the rest of the state is not that diverse and ethnic groups sort of stick together and all that. I think that was more what shocked me um, mm. afterwards. Because I think certainly my experience at school was that the kids of South Asian descent, the kids who were Pakistani or Sri Lankan or, or Indian descent, that we almost adopted a dual persona. There was the person we were at school and then the person we had to be at home. Did you have that sense of of a divide and what was different about about the two versions of you? I wouldn't say that there was generally a divide. Um, yeah, right. What I would say is that, you know, as you're growing up, you do sort of try and place yourself and your ethnicity and your identity and you figure that every single day. And I think a lot of, especially South Asian, Asian people, we can sometimes go through this phase where we reject it and mm-hmm. where making fun of ourselves and we're playing into the jokes that other people are making and we don't stamp it as proudly as we could or as that we do nowadays. And I do remember those phases that I went through where I would sort of reject a lot of the stuff um, and not own it as much, whether that was food, whether that was culture, whether that was heritage. I'm from a very specific part of India that's also quite different to the wider area as I'm from Goa. So the religion, the language, the culture, the food is very different to what is perceived for Indians. So I remember almost not even fitting in with my own country when people would ask me things like, oh, like, did your mom have a big colorful wedding? And I would be like, no. Or, you know, do you eat butter chicken at home? And, you know, that's from a different part of India that I'm from. So those are the different things that sort of kept me a little bit confused. You know, uh, I'm going to tell you something that um, will make sense to you, perhaps not to others listening, which is great content, everybody. When I was about eight years old, my Indian side of the family are are, are all Muslim and I don't have much of a sense of of religion or any understanding of religion. And I was really trying to lean in at like age eight or nine as a tween into my Indian heritage. And so I started wearing a bindi because I thought it was cool. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My grandmother's face. It was bad. It was bad, everybody. It was very bad. <laughs> just not impressed. Wow. I'm just picturing you just rocking up or like, I don't know where you found that. If you just drew something on your forehead or did you no, actually I find, found it, I found a, it genuine... like a, a cheap 
weird, you know, like a Kleins, like a terrible cheap, you know, the pre-purses <laughs> to the Levises that were not as cool. Honestly, own it. I feel like less and less people are wearing bindis nowadays, which is very interesting. There's definitely a trend and a movement away. So tell me how you go from the pressure to follow the standard path of the high achieving South Asian kid here in Australia to becoming someone who is embracing comedy and making videos during lockdown that are being seen by hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, well, I always knew that I had to sort of follow the route that my parents laid out for me. It's kind of like, it's not an option when you're Indian. Like, you think you have the option, but you really don't. So I think even just for my parents, like, my parents are on the chiller side of things. And when I say chiller side, it was like a big deal that they let me choose my degree. Because a lot of my cousins, a lot of my family friends, they didn't even get to pick what field they went into. Their parents sort of were like, this is what you're going to study. So the fact that I was allowed to get a business and communications degree was a big deal. And that was a struggle for my parents. I'm not even kidding. People think that that's like, that was like me going rogue. Like Jeremy's getting a communications degree. What is that? (laughs) What is he doing with his life? And I remember that being like the big upset off everything. So, Oh my God, the the community of aunties. There would have been so much talk about that. I know. And it was, you know, it was always like, oh, well, my cousin was studying accounting. My other cousin was becoming a doctor. And it was like, what is Jeremy doing? Like, it was very, very shameful at the time. And then, yeah, so I finished my degree and I always knew that that wasn't even what I wanted to do. I knew it from the beginning. And I even remember I used to take a camera around my campus and I used to film and I used to document things and I used to take videos and I would post them on YouTube just for fun because I loved, loved doing that. I grew up with, um, I'm sure you used to watch like Lily Singh and um, Liza Koshy and a lot of these great South Asian um, content creators and I just loved what they did. And then, yeah, and then I was sort of working on and off and I was really delaying getting my professional corporate career started because I knew that's not what I wanted to do. But I also knew that I couldn't just pursue the entertainment world because I knew my parents would not like that. So I had to do it in secret. So I would secretly tell them that I was working somewhere when really I was, you know, out making videos or out taking photos and doing all these things. And it wasn't until lockdown where I bit the bullet I got a full-time job, but I was working remotely. So that was kind of like, okay, well, I can film a few things. And also I was stuck with my parents and they were driving me crazy. And I had so much inspo and so much ammo. (laughs) So yeah, I started filming stuff and that's when things took off. What was your first video about? Ooh, I can't remember because I've always sort of just been posting on and off different things. And it was kind of this whole thing where I was just throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck. But the first video that really took off would have to be the one that I made about my mom because I sort of, I dress up as my mom and I act her out and I do all sorts of weird things. But it was this video about my mom where I told her that I was becoming a vegan and I acted out her reaction and how she thought that was the most heinous thing and awful and that that didn't make any sense and how am I going to get protein? And yeah, it was, it it, it really... (laughs) Found the circles. (laughs) So much of what you do is that what I would call like generous humour in that you're sending up these sort of uh, familial traits that I I think curry kids know particularly well, but you're not doing it in a mean way. You're doing it in a way that that where it's really coming from how much you love these 
these people in your lives. How do your parents respond though? How, what is it? What, what's it like for them being being sent up in front of so many people? So my parents don't know much about oh it. Oh my god! Yeah, my parents don't know about a lot of the videos that I make. They're not on social media. They are aware what's going on, but the only way that they see stuff is if one of my cousins rats on me, sends it to their mom, and then their mom will send it to my mom. So that is the only way that they see the videos. So it very only happens when something really blows up. But for the most part, they are unaware. And I prefer to keep it that way. Yeah. My God, I love this. All right. Can you please tell me about what's happening at the moment with the lemon people? (laughs) So the lemon people is something that has started the other day. There's this lady who lives across the street from my house, and she has a lemon tree. And I don't know, maybe lemons are in full bloom right now, but she keeps dropping lemons off to my door. So on Monday, I got like 40 lemons. Tuesday, I got 40 lemons. Wednesday, I think she dropped off like 80 lemons. And I was just sitting in my living room surrounded by lemons. Mm. So I made a video about it. And I said, you know, this lovely lady, she hands over lemons. I'm very polite. And because I'm being so polite, she thinks that I want more lemons. So please, guys, let me know how I tell this woman that I don't want the lemons without offending her. And the video started doing really well. You know, my followers thought it was cute. And just like all the algorithms go, the video just ended up on this, like, lemon community, and it really just spiraled out of control. And I'm getting called ungrateful. I'm getting called completely unworthy. I'm just getting called a waste of of just really heinous things the internet is coming out with over these lemons. So I have someone who's worked in, in, in media and digital content for probably 10 years now, and there are these little pockets of the internet that when you piss them off, like, that, that, that is it. They, they, have, they, have, they are a tribe of their own. People talk about, you know, like far right-wing or left-wing trolls. But in my experience, it's people like cyclists. Sorry, cyclists. Lemon people. Lemon people. There's these people. little categories of people that get very angry. I completely agree with you. And I don't know how it's all happened. And I think right now it's probably on 15,000 comments, a couple oh million views. And every if I refresh my phone, there will be another 10 comments of people just abusing me. And like, I'm kind of just a little confused because I'm like, if we're arguing about lemons right now, can we imagine if we get to like some real, real topics? Some real stuff. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm a little bit scared. So yeah, there are times like that when things happen and you really have to have a thick skin, even if it's about lemons, because people (laughs) will annihilate you. Also, it's lemons and there's like a don't, you know, the anyway, uh, if life gives you lemons kind of situation. Anyway, I love that we're talking about lemons because I think when people get angry about something that genuinely does not matter, I would prefer they were putting their anger there than into more potent areas, not to, you know, in any way downplay the fact that your life may be in danger because of the lemon people. I want to talk about the more serious stuff, though, and I do want to ask about a few of those questions. You know, we are a country that is extremely multicultural and we have a really significant Asian and South Asian population in Australia, in Sydney and in Melbourne, where I am. But I do think we're still grappling with an understanding of how we move forward as a nation that respects and understands 
the culture of our First Nations people recognises that there has been this white invasion and 200 years of white settlement and then also welcome and embrace communities like your parents, my parents, who have come to make this country their home. Do you experience racism when you're putting out these Australian Indian stories into the world? Oh, absolutely. I think everyone, anyone who puts themselves out there like that on the internet is going to face that kind of backlash, just like Mm. the Lemon um, community. Um, There are others that will sort of do whatever they can to tear you down. I feel like I have developed a, a pretty strong audience because I really set out to make videos that were, you know, for us. And when I say for us, I don't mean like I'm excluding anyone else, but I really mm. wanted to do things that like my community, which is the South Asian, Asian, just more ethnic people can really relate to and feel like, wow, this is just something for us. Um, whereas, you know, other content creators sometimes take the route where they make content where other people are laughing at us or like laughing from the outside. But And there's no hate to them for doing that, but like that's just not the stuff that I wanted to do. But yeah, there is a lot of times where, as we can see, the algorithm can put your video on a place where people aren't used to your content or aren't used to the way that you talk or aren't used to that sort of content. And when it's the internet, they will just say whatever they want and they will attack you. And I really hate that because I don't want my followers to see those kinds of comments, especially young people, because that's not the community that I want to create on my channel. How do you manage that personally? Well, personally, I think that I am really comfortable with where I am. I'm so proud of my culture and my ethnicity. And it really takes, I think, age to sort of build that up. It does affect me sometimes because sometimes it really is like, wow, this is where we're at. Like this is seriously, Mm. you know, you think you're making strides, but there are, as we say, little pockets of the internet that just want to tear you down and all you can do is just sort of push through and hope that the work that you're doing or the content you're posting is going to, you know, amplify brown voices and and get to a point where one day we won't have that. So that's really what I hang on to, which is the hope of all of that. Mm. I remember as a, as a kid, my dad used to say to me, the kind of job you're going to do when you're an adult probably doesn't even exist right now. It doesn't even exist right now. Yours, your job is exactly that, right? That is what you are doing. You were doing the job that didn't exist 20 years ago when no one had heard of TikTok or, or, or Instagram. So when you think about the, the future and what work looks like going forward, how do you kind of encapsulate your own plans and your own ambitions when you know the platforms are moving so quickly? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I really got into this because I was in media for a bit and I really wanted to get more brown representation, even Asian representation, because there wasn't that in the Australian media landscape. I'm sure you've experienced that yourself. And being able to do this and platform and hopefully one day get into these sort of mainstream Australian media circles and it's such a tough door to crack and I feel like yeah. you're breaking it down. But the reason that I do that is not to be the only person in that room. It's to it's so that I can get that door open and, and push more people through. So um, I do hope ultimately what I'm doing and what you're doing and what so many other awesome just ethnic people are doing here in Australia in the media landscape is is going to really down the line just get more people through the door. So it's not abnormal. It's not hard for them to do. It's just another job for them because really there is a lack of 
people in this industry. And I think that the only reason that that is is because people haven't seen seen themselves in, in those roles um, and they don't have that um, model representation there. Mm. And I think, you know, the, the States is always just that little bit ahead of us, I think, when, when it comes to these right? sort of things. And we are starting to see people of colour, South Asian people making more television, making films, not just appearing in front of the camera, but also owning production companies and exactly. having real influence in what is made. It's uh, crazy. You see some of these hopeful. things where people are posting their, you know, like not just in front of the camera, but as you say, like behind the camera, production yeah. teams, cast teams, and it'll just have absolutely no representation, no diversity. And almost no one even in the comments is is making reference to that. Whereas, as you say, in the States and stuff like that, like that stuff just doesn't get away. And we need to be more vocal with calling that stuff out. And I think that even in some situations, I get scared to call them out because, you know, you don't want to burn bridges. And, and as we say, the whole point is to go through these struggles, play the game so that down the line, the next generation don't have to do that. So it is tough, but I think that we really have to make it a point to call out these issues and, you know, unite and make sure that our allies are standing with us. And one of the things that I absolutely love about what you do is that you are not assuming a white audience. Your content is unashamedly being made for South Asian people first. And anyone else who enjoys it, that's rad. But so much content just assumes a white audience and the rest of us have to kind of squish ourselves as close to that box as we can be to be able to enjoy it. And I think when more media creators in this country take a pause, look up and look out and realise there is a massive audience for the kind of work that you're making, that's when we're going to start to see more money invested in it, more attention paid and more of a platform given. Jeremy, oh, congratulations on, on what you've created and on the community that you've built. Stay safe from the Lemon people. And thanks for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much for having me. Life has really given me lemons. And <laughs> <laughs> let's all make some lemonade. That's it for my chat with Jeremy Franco. You can find him on Instagram and you can find him on TikTok. And, you know, kind of all about town these days. Don't go away. The Weekend List is coming up next. It is Weekend List time. Helen Smith is here and we have all the stuff you're going to do this weekend, folks. So if you're sitting there and you're looking at an empty calendar and feeling a bit glum, a bit grim, wondering what's ahead of you, we're going to get you sorted out. Helen, kick us off. All right. So this week, the Barbie movie is officially out. The same as Oppenheimer. They are out on the same day. So Oppenheimer is very, very, very different to the Barbie movie. It's actually about the development of the atomic bomb. So it's quite a heavy movie and they come out on the same day, which is, it's been all over Hollywood. There's been memes. There's been the names mashed together called Barbie and Oppenheimer. So it's like Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, okay. So they've ma- mashed all these memes together and they've been like, okay, there is a way to see both of these movies in the same day. You have to see Oppenheimer first, then go have a brunch, have a little lunch, do whatever, maybe even see it in the morning, do a cocktails brunch, and then you see Barbie. Because after you watch Oppenheimer, you need to see Barbie afterwards as like a palate cleanser, as like, a, <laughs> as like you know. To it's repair just, your soul. Yeah. So it's this idea that 
this is a way to watch both of these movies. You do it in the same day. So this is my recommendation this week. Both of them are out. If you can go to the cinema, see both of these movies in the same day, grab a couple friends. That is what I will be doing. And this is my recommendation as well. I've been reading all the articles. It seems like a great idea. So let's see how it goes. That is a true movie-going roller coaster, folks. After that, I reckon you're going to need to lie down. And my recommendation this week is a self-warming eye mask. Stay with me. Uh, they're made by Lula, L-U-L-A. And I came across them because of a recommendation of a friend. And the idea is that you get these little packets of these little masks. They're disposable. And they heat up instantly when you open the packet. And then when you put them on your eyes during a really stressful time, it's a really nice way to help you fall asleep when things have been bad. It's not something you do every day. Obviously, not going to use a disposable eye mask every day. But I think when you're in a particular time and you need some extra comfort, maybe you've been in hospital, maybe you've been unwell, maybe you've got a friend who's who's been in that situation or, or, or been struggling with insomnia, too much screen time. It's just a really nice like spa-like way to treat yourself at home. I've even used them for my son when he's had a really bad dream uh, on occasion and they're so calming and so lovely and you can get them so they smell in different like essential oil scents that also help you fall asleep. I bought some a while ago and I have kept doing so for those particular times. I also think they make a really nice gift if you've got someone in your life who's having a really rough, rough period. So it's Lula and their self-warming eye masks. I love that one. Um, Got to get my ice conchure cube and have the self-warming <laughs> ice box. Wham, bam. Um, so my second recommendation is my handheld milk frother. So it's like a little zhuzha. You, I've seen a them. Zhuzha, yeah. technical term. Yeah, of course. I've seen them on Insta, TikTok, everywhere, and I finally caved a couple weeks ago and I – I've just been using it nonstop to make matches and chai lattes at home. So it's also a budget hack because I'm not buying my expensive matches out at the cafes anymore. You can just whip them up at home and use just the natural matcha green tea powder or your chai latte powder. And it these zhuzha frothers, froth, I can't even say frother, um, <laughs> They just make it not clunky because, you know, when you get mm. a powder and you're like, oh, it's just never as yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, you get little clumps in yeah, it. Yeah, I hate that. I hate it so much. And I'm like, oh, what's the point? Um, now my life is saved. Now I have this, everything. My budget is loving me. My my uh, my taste buds are loving me because it's just creamy matcha and, yeah, it's great. So if you can get a little milk froth the handheld zhuzha, your drinks are going to just up, what's it called? They're going to... Up level, up level scale. Up. Level, level up. up. Your, your, your drinks are going to level up. You will level up. Your drinks are going to level up. That's my Oh, my God. Yeah. All right, folks. I am going to level up either your parenting, your aunt or uncling, or just your babysitting, being king or queen of the kids skills. That's what I'm going to do with this recommendation. So it's a website and uh, it's called Animated Drawings and it's presented by Meta AI Research. They're sort of still working through it and it's in demo form. So they're looking for people to experiment with it and give feedback. If you Google animated drawings, meta AI, it'll come up straight away. What happens is you get there and you can upload a drawing, can be of a person, of a monster, of an animal, whatever it might be. So you get a kid in your life to do a drawing that they love. It doesn't have to be a little kid, might be a tween or a teen who's into this idea. And you can upload it. It doesn't cost anything. 
Once it's uploaded, the program will scan the drawing and then it will bring it to life, like it will animate the drawing. So your kid's static drawing of themselves that's just a person with, you know, like the five sticks for their fingers is suddenly able to move and do things. And then you can get the character on screen to do all sorts of things, like you can get it to skip or jump or dance or um, run around in circles. And it's just such a lovely thing to do for a child, I think, like when you've created something and you're a little kid and you're so proud of it, the idea of having it legitimately brought to life and to be able to be tweaked and you can actually play with the animation and the tools are so basic, so basic that me who struggles to open a Google Doc could use it. Um, I cannot tell you the joy that it brought my eight-year-old and I, like, I wanted to do one and I am I am I am not eight and I wanted to do a drawing and have a go at it. So I think um if you've got kids in your life, this is the kind of thing that it'll keep them entertained for a good couple of hours. Uh costs you nothing and you will be the master of the children. What an awesome thing. That's it for the weekend list for another week and for the weekend briefing. Thank you for giving us your company. We've so enjoyed having you. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode of the weekend briefing, then please make sure that you download the listener app. You can follow us there or you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on your podcast app now, why not leave us a lovely rating and review? It will help other people to find the briefing podcast, plus absolutely make mine and Helen's day. We will be back with you bright and early on Monday morning where Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.